Well, welcome back to the podcast, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam. Dr. Jeff Bucknam is the lead pastor of Teaching and Vision at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicagoland. And uh, we have this podcast. Usually what we do on here is we um, talk to some people who have stories of uh, testimony of what God has done in their life. We hear about... Um, you know, their life and we ask questions, but sometimes we do a little bit of a, of a special podcast and that's what this one is going to be a special edition. If you will, Jeff, are you excited? I am so excited. Me too. Yeah. So I'll, special I'll tell, report, special report on the conversations. <laughs> so we are, uh, we, we've been in a series over the Breaking. summer for people who haven't been Mm -hmm. to our church or, or maybe you're listening and haven't, you know, uh, don't come on weekends. Uh, we've been going through a series in church called ask anything where we've asked our uh, congregation to ask yep. us some questions about life and doctrine and the Bible. It was culture. originally titled, uh, you asked for it. Y yes. But then apparently the, the more, more uh, intelligent and savvy didn't like the plan words. So. They, yeah, and uh, framed it positively. Yeah. Ask anything. And so... Took all the fun out of it <laughs> and said, ask anything. And so people did. Uh, we had... Actually, I've got it right in front of me right here. Um, yeah, I mean, over well over 100 what questions. The, we had 100 questions. Over 100. Well over 100. But we only chose like eight to seven or eight to talk about. Correct, because we only had so many weeks yeah. in the summer. And so we kind of got together... There were a couple of them that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. And then other ones... Uh, that were that were also asked about. We thought that they'd be asked about in yes. advance, and so we wrote it down. Thought we wonder if this is going to be asked, and it was. Yep. But other ones we didn't. Yeah, we. I was a little surprised by some of them. Yeah. Oh, we, for sure. And so we we've taken kind of those frequently asked, or what we thought would be frequently asked, put them on. Uh, you know, uh, have done sermons on the weekends over them, and so then we were thinking, though, there's so many questions, yeah. we only got to answer eight or nine of them how could we bring an answer to some of these other ones? Right. And so that's why we're here. That's why we're here. The so we, we thought edition. we'd dedicate a few uh, episodes of the, of the podcast uh, to answering some to questions, answering some questions, unfiltered, unresearched. See, this is the thing about the podcast. Uh, we don't do a lot of prep for the podcast. Sherry Smith does a lot of the prep for a podcast, which means that she finds the, she finds the guests and stuff. And so, but the, the secret sauce to it is that when we come in the room, we don't always know who it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, that's by design. We want to, it's a, it's get, like, it's a get to know you. And it's we, like a conversation. Yes. With basically. you. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. So it's very laid back and that's what this is too. I have not seen the questions. Mm -mm. Tommy. Has well, I've seen them because we've had to yeah, yeah. go through them and, and preach on them, and um, I've gone through and kind of ear noted a couple that we I've ear noted the ones that we haven't answered. You so I've seen you know earmarked. Sorry, ear noted, earmarked, ear noted. You know, you know, I thought there was like a bug. Yeah, ear, 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 the, you better watch out for the ear note. <laughs> it's an alien species confirmed speaking. by the United States. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of which, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It is. So uh, we we usually banter a little bit. And we were saying just before we came on the uh, on the air here. On the air. That, uh, yeah, they've discovered aliens. Yeah. Or, or the whole alien thing is just a 
psyop. Yeah. Oh man, I love this conspiracy trying, theory that is trying to divert our attention away from the weirdness that yeah. is taking place in our political lives yeah. at every turn. Yeah. No matter what it is, is something. No matter who's in office, something weird's going on. Something weird's going on. Um, Distract over here, yeah, shiny yeah, they, object. Exactly. Aliens. And they really, aliens. When, now here's the thing: when they pull out the alien shiny object. You That's know a big that, shiny object. You know that the other stuff yeah. is pretty crazy. Yeah, there's a whole United States like economy surrounding <laughs> yeah. aliens, right? Yeah. So now, we're, people are. I've been asked. I don't know how many times. Are there? Are these aliens? Are they demons? Are they whatever? Yeah. So I interviewed one, and we'll go to that now. Yeah. Per <laughs> Wes, can you cut to that? The uh, the alien interview with uh, man. Um, hey, sir. Hello, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> It's Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> He's the alien. Yeah, because, because He's in the as I told you before, yeah. earlier, there uh, they a lot of this stuff happens over water. Yeah, apparently, according to the guys who are the UAP uh, folks that I I listened to this long podcast, Megan Kelly's podcast, like a year or two ago, with one of the guys who ran the UAP program in the in the uh, US. Yeah. And he was saying, because he was being asked, like, what in the world is this and stuff? And he's like, look, I don't know. We, know if it's from, we need to do more investigation about it. But he said, a lot of it happens over water. Hmm. And because a lot of it happens over water, he started to want, they've, they've started to wonder. We've only, like, just, like, investigated 5% of the world's oceans or something like that. Yeah. So he's like, we're not sure what's down there. Now, when he said that, I was like, oh. That's where they are. These are the people of Atlantis. Atlantis, yeah, the they lost are, city. They are coming. Or Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, Aquaman. Or Jar Jar Binks. The Gungans. Maybe. The Gungans are down there. That's right. <laughs> and that little Tic Tac dries really fast, yeah. and Jar Jar's in there. Well, I have me to have my own ships. <laughs> I could listen to you impersonate Jar Jar all day. <laughs> so if you're going to ask us that question... We're going to tell you right now that, oh. in our opinion, it's Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Are aliens real? 50-50, <laughs> Jar Jar Binks or demons. Okay. Um, or maybe he is. We, I would not have at all Have you ever seen the surprised. graph of alien sightings? So they've done a, like the, um, like how many, you know, where the alien sightings happen. Like the map. In the world. Yeah. And almost all of it where is concentrated, where do you think? Uh, the United States yes. of America. <laughs> There's like five in the Middle East. Tommy, like, listen, I think you need to understand yeah. this though. If you're an alien, you're not going anywhere else. Yeah, right? you're, yeah. You're, you're like, listen, we're the United States of America. <laughs> They're coming here to the land of the free and the home of the brave. Okay, they don't. <laughs> what is wrong with us? This is, um, yeah. Americans. Uh, we like to we like to joke a lot. By the way, if you're tuning into this podcast, this is our this is our funny, sarcastic. We're, we don't we don't know. Don't what take the it serious. Are. We don't know what the aliens are at all. At no all. idea at all. Could be a hoax. Uh, and if people are wondering how does that fit in your theology, uh, yeah, there could be demons. There could be all sorts of stuff. Yep. Listen, we're all good. We're all good. Yeah. Don't be worried. <laughs> so that's a taste, maybe, of what's to come on these answers. Uh, we will. We'll probably give more serious answers to the to the questions that we will have uh, coming up. And by probably, I mean yes, we will. Yeah, we, we'll, will. we will have serious serious answers. But uh, like we were saying, the, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of these questions, give an answer to some of these questions. We haven't prepared for this. We haven't researched any of these. These are kind of just off the cuff conversations about these topics. And so we're gonna try and get through as many as we can. 
Yeah. Sound, sound fair? That sounds great. Want me to start? You want me to start asking questions? Yeah, hit me. All right, Dr. Jeff Bucknam. Yes. Question and answer. Maybe we should change this. Answers with, yeah. you know, question and answer, Q&A. Um, what is our church's stance on altar calls? Curious as to why we don't do them as much. Well, I don't think... It's in the question. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an... I don't think there's an official stance of our church on altar calls. For those of you who are wondering what we're talking about, maybe what is, you, what is an altar call? Maybe yeah. you do, but for those who may be newly initiated to Christianity, uh, an altar call is is what they call it when when uh, if you go to uh, usually some evangelistic event. Although many churches, especially in the Southern Baptist uh, denomination, many churches will end a lot of their services with an altar call, and that means that they will ask everybody to. Uh, bow their heads or something to that effect. Pray a prayer. And they will say, okay, now uh, what I want you to do is that if you want to commit your life to Christ, you're going to pray this prayer and then you're going to come forward, right? See the calling you to the altar, the altar being the front of the Mm -hmm. stage or whatever. And um, other times they'll, it's changed. Sometimes it's like, if you want to be more serious about your Christian faith, come forward. If you want to commit yourself, I've heard commit yourself to missions, uh, if you want, so all of these are kind of called altar calls, and it's it's a, an act of uh, commitment, you know, f- physical act yeah. of response to the call, usually of of repentance or usually of hey, uh, if you want Jesus, come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, some churches have done it for a long, long time, and many have, especially those who've got like like I said, uh, some modern Baptistic churches have that as part of their history. In fact, I had a very good friend in seminary. Uh, he and his wife came to church with us one time, and um, they came from a Southern Baptist church. And we had been to their church on one occasion, and um, they did the big altar call at the end of the service. And I didn't know that that was something they did every week, but apparently it is, because when they came to our church, the pastor finished the sermon, they came up, played a song, and then it was over. And his wife sat, stood there and looked around, like, Where, where's everybody going? And I said, what? The service is over. We go out and talk or eat some food or whatever. She said, well, what about the altar call? And I was like, I, I mean, it's not an evangelism event or whatever. Right. And she could not believe it. She had never been to a church in her entire life. I mean, she's in her 20s. She'd never been to a church in her entire life uh, where they didn't give an altar call. Wow. She's from Kentucky, but that's kind of part of, that was part of their culture. Sure. There. So there's a lot of people who have that kind of in their background. Now, you're going to have to tell me if Harvest did that a lot. I have no idea. Uh, I would say uh, occasionally. Occasionally. You know, uh, what? I, I want to put some accurate numbers to this five times a year you're looking over your shoulder at yeah at, at sherry, sherry and right west now, and trying to my memory's not as good yeah. i turned 35 yesterday okay so you know the, just, the 20s were a complete haze yeah. i know <laughs> the 30s my memory's not so good <laughs> so yeah i think maybe five times five times a year yeah probably would be an accurate yeah. estimation at least yeah. yeah 
So if you're asking my view, so the church has no like particular take. If somebody came and was a pastor from another church and we invited them to speak and they wanted to give an altar call, we'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Sounds great. Um, if you're asking me personally, which is, I think, what's going on here, because I... I well, yeah, church's stance, and then I don't, what's Jeff's stance? I don't do it that often. I have in the past in my life, yeah. uh, and even... The difference, I think, between what I would do and what that is, is, is um, what an altar call would be, is that, I, you know, I, I'll appeal for people to make a resp- have a response to Christ. Yep. I, what I usually don't do is say, okay, now you need to close your eyes, raise your hand, and come forward. Um, and there's a reason for that. I actually have a theological and historical reason for that. So the altar call is a um, product, historically, it's a product of the Second Great Awakening, mostly. So there's the First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, um, John Wesley, um, huge impact in both Great Britain and, and in the United States. Whitfield came over to the United States and people came to faith in Christ all around, all up the Northeast and down the Atlantic seaboard. And, mm-hmm. um, a number of years later, and by a number of years, I can't remember the exact amount. I don't want to say a hundred, hundred and some. There's the second great awakening came around. Now the difference between the first great awakening and the second great awakening was not that they, one was an awakening and the other wasn't. Uh, the first great awakening didn't have anything like an altar call. Uh, George Whitfield would go out into the middle of a field, and he'd put his little, his little soapbox down, he'd stand on top of it, and he'd preach to whatever, tens of thousands of people. And at the end, he would make an appeal. And if you ever read Whitfield's sermons, they're like massive appeals. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, yeah. comes from this age. And I know that we all probably, some of us read that in, in college or high school. And it's really mean. <laughs> it sounds like it. You know, that's mm-hmm. why they read it to you. Look at how horrible this hellfire and brimstone preaching is this guy. Um, but the, if you read the end of that sermon, one of the things you'll realize very quickly is that he's making a massive appeal. So he's setting up what, you know, hell would be like and all these things. At the end, he's saying, but now there's a great door that swings open to you and the grace of God is open and you should, you should come to him. And so Edwards is pleading with the people to repent and believe the gospel at the end. But you don't have... Uh, and now close your eyes and you right. just don't have that at the right. end. It's just, an, it's an appeal mm-hmm. for them to come to, to come to Christ, right? Um, when you get into the second great awakening, one of the key figures in it was a guy named um, Charles Finney. And Finney's approach was uh, what they call the, a new method. So he was kind of criticized for his new methods. <clears throat> Theologically, he believed the only way, the only way somebody comes to faith, well, I shouldn't say the only way, that, the only thing that stands in the way of people coming to faith in Christ was their will. And so if you can overcome their will through some kind of method, some kind, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I can, uh, if I can convince you in the moment, it's like a car sales thing. If I, if I can convince you the moment to purchase the vehicle, that's all I, that all that needs to happen. That God has actually put everybody in a position where they're ready to respond to the gospel. That was his belief. In the first great awakening, they were like, no, actually, the only way somebody comes to faith in Christ is if by God's sovereign grace, he gives them eyes to see and ears to hear, right? Well, Finney believed everybody had that. Uh, and so the only thing that was standing in their way was their own will. And so if you, if you could manipulate or change or tweak their will or put some pressure on their will, then you can, he'll look, they'll come forward to Christ. Mm. So the altar call actually became part of that pressure. It was intended to be a, 
uh, moment where p- the silence was in the room and there's kind of the music playing and the and and it, there's supposed to be an, an emotional and social pressure on it when you see other people coming forward and so some churches that will will even do that with baptisms they do on spontaneous baptisms and they don't just say okay we'll do spontaneous baptisms they'll plant some people in the crowd who will come forward and if if you ask people well why are you doing that you know it seems disingenuous they'll say well it's not disingenuous the people want to get baptized but the other people in the room who might want to be baptized as well won't go alone they'll they'll go if other people go mm-hmm. so you can see the like mm-hmm. i don't want to call it manipulation but the but the the pressure that's brought on. And all of it was born, though, out of a theological conviction that uh, we need to do stuff like that to, to move people. Toward God. Toward God. Yeah. Um, now, historically, Finney and his stuff was picked up by guys like Billy Sunday and Dale Moody. And a whole, I mean, there's a whole bunch of folks that used that, used that method. Mm. Those guys didn't believe the same doctrine that Finney did. Uh, but they used the they used the method because they saw it as being a valuable thing, and so longer and longer the church history goes, more and more pe- people pick it up, seeing it as, and so now then it became a norm for a lot of people to do that. Yep. Um, I I have this massive issue, <laughs> and it is I think the Christian church in uh, the United States, especially in North America, is can, can be highly manipulative uh, emotionally. I I think that we sometimes are appealing to people to make decisions and we load it full of emotion so that they will make the decision and then the decision in the cold light of day is sort of left behind. And I think that's, I actually think that that's not only, uh, not only ineffectual, but I actually think it creates kind of an inoculation to the gospel now I have some probably evidence for that. I know that where the Second Great Awakening happened is in north northeast, like in the northeast, in in where um, upstate New York and stuff. And they call that the burned over district now, mm. because they believe that you know historically so many people went forward and did all the stuff, but it didn't stick, right? Because they were like, "Well, I made a commitment." They go away in the cold light of day. They feel differently. Yep. The, the passion's gone, right? Um. So, all that to say. I don't feel compelled to actually utilize this thing because I just I think it's kind of novel in Christian history. Yeah. I also think it's 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 enough yeah. to say to people, uh, you know, turn to Christ. Yeah, I think some people would say too, like in in all of that, right? Like the the altar call is the preaching of the gospel, right? No. They would they would put those as synonymous of like you need to make an invitation to the gospel, the preaching of the gospel yes. and people then but to respond to it. But how do you respond to the gospel? But they're and not the synonymous. The repentance yeah. and faith. Yeah. Altar calls are not some, synonymous. Some people will say, well, you know, the, the argument I've heard from people who give a lot of altar calls is, well, yes, but people are expressing their faith physically by moving forward in the thing. And I'm like, yeah, that fine. I'm cool. Like I said, I'm cool mm-hmm. with it. Totally. I also am like, but they don't have to do that. I would actually have them, I, I would prefer them to express their faith in baptism, just so you know. Yeah. Like, I'd that, rather that be the case. Yeah. Yeah, or, there is a mechanism yeah, to express I would their faith. rather have them express their faith in particular, um, you know, love and good works and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and, you know, people sometimes will say, well, how, how are you going to know who came to faith in Jesus and who didn't? And I'm like, I don't. I don't actually need to know the exact moment that you prayed a prayer or something like that. What what I'm going to celebrate is when you get baptized and you profess publicly that that has happened in your life, right? You're gonna, you're actually going to do the thing the Bible says is the public pronoun- pr- pronouncement 
I'm with Jesus. And at that point, I'm like, cool, that's great. Mm-hmm. But people sometimes will say, well, what about follow-up? Like, what do you say to people about the follow-up? And my response is, well, if somebody ever, if anybody ever wanted to know what you're, what should you do if you, if you come to faith in Christ? And my response, you know, you come to church, you come to a meeting stuff. My response is come back. Yeah. Right. Like every week at church, that should be edifying enough for you that you continue to grow in Christ. And eventually I would think that you'd say, and hopefully it would be soon after that moment that you come, that you profess faith in Christ. I think I would I would encourage you to get baptized so that you you're baptized and then you're you know kind of more formally part of the yeah. of the church. So um, I think that the language I just used and the kind of template I just used kind of follows a little bit more of the biblical language. That's not to say that altar calls are not biblical. I'm not right. saying that yeah, at all. Totally at all. Mm-hmm. It's just not because it's not something that I grew up with. It's not something that I necessarily feel compelled to do because I don't doctrinally feel like I need to move someone's uh, heart. I think the Spirit of mm-hmm. God does that, and I also think that there's a kind of a danger there is a, yeah, of manipulation danger. in yep. some of it too. So there's my longish answer. Yeah, to the to the question. Uh, I've had debates with people about this, and I am totally happy. Like again, my viewpoint is not don't ever do this. Yep. My viewpoint is we should be thinking about what kind, well, how our methods um, might be communicating things to people that we don't intend. Yeah. And making sure that we're cautious. Yeah. Especially of, in an entertainment-y, yeah. you know, highly emotional culture, yep. which is ours. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So that's ans- that's question number one. <laughs> do we, do we, I have, and we're out of time. And that's good for the pot. No, I'm just kidding. I actually don't know how much time we, we don't have care. On one more. This. Let's do another one. Two. So we'll just keep going. You you guys tell us when to stop, or I'm just gonna keep asking questions. All right. Here's the uh, here's the next one. Um, this this one might be a little bit um, uh, quicker. Uh, is cremation okay for believers? Is it okay? Is it okay? Is there a biblical view of does the bible say anything about this should you be buried so or is cremation my short bad? answer to this is this is idea for this is this is a freedom that you have I, I i don't think that there's anything in scripture that would bar you from yep. getting cremated because some people would argue right that um the you know christ is going to return yep. to resurrect us well, from the have dead no problem so, reconstituting the molecules of your body and this is the he's this okay is, yeah. he spoke worlds into existence so he seemed to assemble them pretty well before and it's going to be people who died thousands of years ago and yeah. have disintegrated yeah, so totally. he's so going to do that too yeah that's not my thing i will say this i think there is uh, if you are going to approach death uh with a biblical worldview um, I would say that the biblical worldview, I think, would inform this a little bit, though. And here's how. Uh, we, we believe in the physicality of human beings, that it's a good thing, that we're physical beings. Um, if you're Hindu, you don't, you don't believe that necessarily, uh, that you need to actually, some, there's promises to escape. I mean, what is nirvana? It's the escaping of the physical body so that you can go and be one with the, the eternal spirit. Um, there are other, other religions, that's the same kind of attitude Mm -hmm. that physical stuff is worse than spiritual stuff. And so I'm Christians don't believe that we believe actually that God made us body and spirit and that, um, the new heavens, new earth will be populated by physical people like Jesus who was raised from the dead with his new body. 
Not floaty and, spirits? No, no, no. You're not going to float around everywhere. And, you no know, Casper tail? And no one's going to reach through your body and be all weird, you know. I <laughs> Reach through your body. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, so if you follow the biblical worldview, though, the, what makes Christians different than a lot of world religions mm-hmm. is that we have, we, we believe the body is good. We believe the body is, is um, you know, value. We actually believe the body's eternal. Um, in it, in, in it, in a reconstituted form, in a renewed form. Mm-hmm. So, if you take all of that language and all that knowledge, and I ask you now, what should you do with the body after you die? I don't. Cremation is probably not what you're going to say to me. Probably not. You're not mm-hmm. going to probably say, "Oh, yeah, we should totally just cremate it." It, I just, it doesn't reflect what I just described. The high view. And so, there's a reason yeah. that people forever have buried their dead the way they bury their dead. Tombs. Right. Ground, yeah. I think it's a little weird, um, personally, when, you know, it, you can go too crazy when they st- when you start putting, like, plush bedding and stuff inside of the coffin. Sure. Which uh, I, I also think probably has some weirdness to, theolog- to the theology, right? Like, they're going to wake up in there and have to dig themselves out yeah, at, the, right. at the second. I, that I don't, would be awful, I don't by know. the way. Um, Yikes, that's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> It is a nightmare. Maybe hope, that's what purgatory is. Yeah, just <laughs> hope you make it. Get to the top. Uh, that's a joke. Yes. We don't believe in purgatory, Correct. nor do we believe that the resurrection of the dead will have people in their tombs. Having uh, to dig their way to, to the surface. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you understand, like, it, the idea that you're going to be laying in there somehow, and so you need to be comfortable type of thing is not really part of it either. So there are... I'm just saying that if if I'm going to make a decision about what it is that I'm going to do, I just want to try to have it informed by theology. So a diaphora, yeah. but there is some... Yeah, a lot of things. Well, so yeah. I'd say that a lot, a lot of... Too, I think that there are certain things in it that are diaphora too. I mean, modern the way that Western people um, do yoga, for example, is seems a diaphora to me. Um, others want to fight with me about that, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the idea... For me, it's I'm not saying that those those people are participating in yoga the way that uh, the way that uh, they do in in the Middle East, or sorry, in, in uh, the Eastern world where it's a Hindu, Hindu practice, yeah. they've separated it out to be stretching. <laughs> um, but if you if you go from a biblical worldview, you are gonna you are gonna start being like, eh, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Pilates sounds way better. <laughs> do you know? I don't even know Pilates is. I actually I don't either. I, I was going to... Zumba. Yeah. <gasps> Zumba. Is Have that you done it? Zumba? I've never done Zumba. I bet you that Wesley's done Zumba. Z- Wesley, Zumba? Huh? Sherry's huh? over here nodding. Yeah, she's, a Zoom- she's a Zumber. No? Is it called Zumba? She did That's one. What- she went one time. <laughs> she went one <laughs> time the- and, sh- and she beat it. She beat Zumba and she's like, that's done. That's it. I've <laughs> I accomplished. Zumber? <laughs> is, that the, is that what they call themselves? <laughs> No, that's really informative. Have you seen some churches, though, that on the outside of their church, they'll be, say, like, Zumba on 6 p.m. Sunday night or whatever. I have not, no. no. I've seen some of that. I have been at churches that are like yoga at this particular time, and I've always been like, well, that's odd. That's a little bit odd. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of things on, a lot of uh, odd odd things on Listen, Adiaphora, it's, it's. It's fine, but there's a, the reason people fight over some of the audio four things is they're like, but if you follow the biblical, but it's world a bit view, informed, yeah, and you're like, yeah, I can see totally what you're saying, but there's no express statement in Correct. scripture that would bar you from doing some of the some things. And for some people, it's just not an issue. They don't mean it. They don't mean by it what you think they mean. Yeah, well, that's good. 
Um, next question. Uh, why do we worship Jesus if God is almighty? Okay, you do that one. <laughs> Theology proper. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, because... so. <laughs> God has created, um, you know, uh, us to, uh, to glorify him and, uh, but God, Jesus is God. Yeah. So I think that like the most simplest answer in all of that is that now I, I'm guessing in the question, um, what it, it may be, there's a Trinitarian yeah, error what it, in the question. Why do it's we, not- why do we worship Jesus, the son, if God the Father is Almighty, oh, right? But in the question itself, like Jesus is Almighty, yeah. And so I, I he shares the attributes of God, shares he he the is co equal, yeah. co eternal, and he has all the attributes of the Father, yeah. Right. So the power that the Father has, Jesus has that power. They are so, and the Spirit has that power. Yes. So yes, uh, this is this is hard for a lot of people. So I and please don't hear me as putting the question down. It's a common question that lots of people mm-hmm. have. The Trinity creates all sorts of difficulty in <laughs> yeah. our heads yeah. because what Christianity says, rightly, mm-hmm. is that at the center of the universe, at the center of all things, is a, a fellowship of three friends who are uh, who are of one substance but unique in person. And you say, substance, wait a minute, they're like a goo. Uh, the word substance has was chosen in history because it's kind of... Substance. Well, it's kind of loosey. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, you say, well, it's God made of. Uh, spirit. <laughs> but whatever it is, they all they share it. They share the substance. They share the characteristics. They share... They, like, and by share, I don't mean like Jesus one day is like, Dad, can I go borrow the, up the power today? I, I mean that they all have it. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, co equal. Yeah, is is the point? Um, because and we get that because the Bible talks about each one of them as God, and yeah. yet the Bible talks about each one of them as not being the other. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this, I think a lot of this happens too with like your view of the submission of Christ, right? Jesus the Son and His right. submission to God the Father, and so we view then God the Father as as the you know, I think some people view God the Father as, oh, well, he's like elevated because he because Jesus got submits mo- to and the Holy Spirit yeah. to and, and so it, it's a willing, uh, econ- what we call economic, yeah, <laughs> meaning that it's a just, functional, it's a functional thing. It's the way that it, it's submission. the way that it works. Yeah. In in it, when Jesus just when Jesus became incarnate, meaning he became man. Yeah. Uh, there there was he, he is called Son. And the father's called father. And yeah. so those that language is used to designate a certain kind of relationship that they have with each other. There's a big debate from people about, okay, has that always been the case? Yeah. Eternal son, generation son of the son? always been that? Or Eternal functional did, submission. Did it just happen yeah. at the at the at at the incarnation? Yeah. And listen, you if you want to get into Go this. Go read great, some articles on that. That'll that'll be a good one. But yeah. what I the the question is is the the challenge the question's having is it's trying to make sense or it's, it's assuming that there's a division here. And so why wouldn't we just worship the father? Yeah. And, and so why would we work Jesus, Jesus? And the answer is because one of the great truths of Christianity and that that's been revealed in the gospel is that Jesus Christ is fully God yeah. and the spirit is fully God. And so this is not something the Jewish nation knew. Yep. In fact, that this is the point on which they rejected it. Yep. They're like, he can't be, yep. he can't be. 
but we're Christians, uh, which means that you might not understand 100% of the Trinity, but you don't deny it because mm-hmm. it's clearly taught in the Bible. So you're kind of like, okay, th- this is where theologians and philosophers try to figure out all that kind of stuff, and language is important. But it's very, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's what, how God has revealed himself to be. Yeah. Which, is, by the way, is really, I mean, raises all sorts of questions. And I'll, in my theology classes, here, here's a question for you, Tommy. Yes. So is, <laughs> is Allah the same as God? Are you asking me that now? Yeah, I am asking I, you. I mean, is, I would is say... Is the same I, as the one true God? Yeah, I would say no. Why? Uh, because he is not a Trinitarian yeah. God. Yeah. So yeah. he is... Right. It is a... It's not a Trinity. Yeah. So here's... I'll go one, one it, further now. Yeah. Is uh, the Old Testament Jewish God, the way that they understand it, the way... Judaism, Judaism understands yeah, yeah, yeah. it today. Because I would say the Old Testament God is the yes. one true God, but yes. the Judaism, But the way that Judaism yeah, understands yeah. God today, is that the one true God? I would also say no, because that's a by, yeah, uh, yeah it's, that, it's not, it's, it's not ignoring tried. and it's, it, it's committing the sin of unbelief against the revelation that Jesus is God. Yeah. So this is a whole debate about it like is. ecumenicalism. Right. And like, so if yeah, I get together with a Jewish guy yeah. today and he's like, we worship the same God. My response is no, we don't. We don't. We don't, because my God is Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. And co-equal, co-eternal with the Father mm-hmm. and the Spirit. Uh, and the the the, the Muslim's going to say, but we monotheists, we believe in one God. And I'm like, yeah, mine's in three persons, though. Yeah. That like that. And when you talk about Allah, you fully reject Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we can talk about. I understand you're using words that sound the same, but you're talking about a different God. Which creates all sorts of people. People are like, wait a minute, what? Wait a second. The all because they're all the Abrahamic faiths. Yeah, and, but I'm, I'm yeah, what you're, you said it properly. The the God who is in the Genesis accounts, the God who is described in all of the Hebrew scriptures, yeah. is the Trinitarian God. Yeah. That's what we learn through Christ. Yes, that's what's been revealed. Uh, so he didn't change. Yeah. He's always been that. It's just that it's only been revealed in these these last days that mm-hmm. he is Trinity. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Oh my gosh, yes. And you could talk, we could talk about this for a long time. Well, but I one think of it's, the, I think it's really one, yeah. One of the interesting parts about the Trinity because we're on the subject is um do you know I I think there's something to be said for the argument that love would not exist in the world if God was not tr- trinitarian if that like eternal love would not exist in the world like because love needs an object and so if it's just if if god is just one god in the sense that's not the right way to say it but you know like god is one but if he's not three persons uh i'm i'm struggling to understand how self-giving love can exist but if he is trinity then at the heart of the universe is an eternal self-giving loving fellowship of three friends. Yeah. And I can understand then how love lasts forever and was lasted before we even got here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something for you to think about. Mm-hmm. It's good. Are you thinking about it? Yeah. I mean, I'm always, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's fascinating. It's so, it's super fun. I had a, I, yeah. Fred Sanders, by the way, is probably the best modern author about the Trinity. Fred Sanders. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that he's written. Most, almost everything he's ever written in, about the Trinity is fabulous. And it's pretty accessible. 
And it's please don't treat it as if it's this doctrine that's like, oh, I'll never understand it. <laughs> it will yield so much fruit in yeah. your thinking and understanding about who God is. Yeah. Amazing. Well, hopefully that helps um, with that question. Uh, one, maybe one more? One more? Yeah, we'll, one get, more. we'll get one more. We'll get one more question. That's in. from uh, Ocean's Eleven. Go ahead. We'll get one more. All right. Here's a, here's a here. Oh man, this is going to be special for those who waited and stayed with us until the end and been all you know with us through this whole episode. Is it okay? Yes. For Christians, yes. to listen to secular music. If yes, what should be off limits? Well, clearly, let, let let's let's ask the the more important question: Is it okay for Christians to listen to the Gaithers? because I like I have serious questions about whether or not there's any beauty in that at all wow just, wow you just made dear, so many people upset dear dear, dear pastor Jeff you're fired <laughs> never diss I'm the never gaithers coming back never <laughs> diss the gaithers oh dear I'm kidding I'm kidding of course yeah, of course of course Funny story though, when I came to Faith in Christ, it was kind of in early high school and I had was, I mean, back in the eighties, I was listening to the different bands and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I first, uh, they first basically told me is that all of the stuff that you've been listening to, you got to get rid of it all. Yeah. Burn it. So I was like, oh, okay. And so you go and you do it. And they would always give you kind of replacement people yeah. who were part of the thing. And I, they were never quite as good musically and stuff, but the music wasn't, I mean, it wasn't horrible. Um, but as I've gotten older, it's one of my frustrations. I'm like, oh, come on, right? Tears for Fears was not that, you know, was not a problem. Um, do you know, the, the, this is a wider question. The question I would ask is, um, so, so music is what we call a cultural form. It's an expression of our culture. Yep. Uh, goes it, for movies. It, it goes is, for... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, you could ask the same question for movies. Should you watch anything other than a Christian movie? But then I'm going to ask you, what makes a movie Christian? And I, well, themes and the, the message of Christ and all of those, right? Right. But I, so there are two different, I think, faithful ways for Christians to respond to difficult cultural forms. One, one like songs and music. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of them is abstinence. Like, I think you can too, which is the kind of the question here is yep. just don't listen to it at all. Yep. And uh, listen, I'm not going to in any way argue that somebody who does that is like less than or whatever. For sure. If you don't want to listen to to, sec to um, secular music, don't listen to it. Yep. I would say that if, though, if you end up saying, well, that's the only Christian way, I think you are missing something important. And that is that to be in the world, not of it, it requires a kind of um, discernment. Wow. Um, and, and really the goal for me is the training of young people and others to become um, what I what I call cultural sieves instead of cultural sponges. Yeah. Um, because what somebody who wants abstinence is, they're worried that you're going to be a sponge. That everything you watch and listen to is going to actually it's just get and tie you, you and yeah. influence you. And I'm like, yeah, that is a great fear. It is. It's real. But there is something in the middle there, which is like, look, I have a biblical worldview. I am trained in it. And now I'm going to go out and I'm going to engage with this wider culture. And there are going to be constant messages coming at me through art, through music, through like all this, all, movies, all it's constantly going to be coming to me through all these forms. And my responsibility as a Christian is to basically ask this question. First, what are they trying to say by that form? Like understand what they're trying to say to me. And two, is that true? Yeah. And by true, I mean, is that biblical? Is that in line with God's revelation? There are going to be some things that you end up going, no, 
It's not. See, I think that's a Christian act. Yeah. What you just did. I think you just determined. So you, you watched or you listened to something that was stupid and you said, that's stupid. That's stupid. <laughs> um, and I think that's a Christian act. I think that's yeah. acting Christianly in the world, even though you didn't abstain from it. I also think um, it's a Christian, it's a Christian act to, uh, to enjoy the, the common grace that's shown in, in, Lots of movies mm-hmm. that embrace themes and ideas that I'm like, Rudy is, okay, Rudy is a secular movie, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah, Rudy's about, do you know what Rudy's about? I do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, football. Really famous, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So here's a kid who works hard, 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 and then in the end, he might makes his castaway. Gets on the field for, right, he, yeah. he castaway. He, he is faithful. He works, 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 and at the end, he's, there's new vistas. He's faithful to all of these things, and he fights through all difficulty, and these are things that I'm like, yeah, that that's a... That's a pretty Christian-minded attitude, yeah. right? There, there are lots, and lot, in fact, No Country for Old Men, which is a violent movie, has, at the, has as its goal a very Christian theme, which is uh, secularism stinks. It's got no answer for evil, especially people who kill others just for no good reason. Yeah. And uh, we have given up something significant in the, in the fact that we, we have lost our moral compass through, through a God and what he gives us, right? Yeah. That's a very Christian viewpoint. And yet people would say, well, you should never watch that movie, right? Or, yeah, it's about a guy who shoots holes in people's heads with, an, with, a, with a, a condensed air. It's, it, he steals money, does all sorts of things. And I'm like, yeah. The thing is, though, it's a deeply Christian film and what it is that it communicates. Yeah. Uh, the Truman Show, a deeply non-Christian movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's deep. It's about the rejection of God and his world yep. and his ways. But people, like if you go to Plugged In Online or whatever, they'll say, Truman Show's a real good family-friendly film. And I'd be like, yeah, but it's not. Just because of the, the number of swear words and stuff it has in it or how, how much skin is shown. I, look, some people aren't going to go to that because that's an idea for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and others, though, are able to engage it. But when they engage it, they need to do it like a sieve. There's going to be some bits that get stuck in the, in the colander <laughs> and other bits that go through. And the idea is to see what good things are coming through and what bad bits are in. And that act, that practice, more than I think probably anything else for faithful Christian people in the modern world is what we need to be teaching them. That's the ex- exegeting the culture. Right. Yeah. And, and understanding it and loving God. And I think you'll be able to lead people uh, kids, other people, you'll be able to lead people faithfully through the minefield that is the mm-hmm. culture if you're if you're willing to help them learn this ability and this task. If you never, this is what I, you know, sometimes would say to people is if you if you don't know what culture is saying, if you don't even know what it's saying, then how can you help people with wisdom about it? Yeah. How to navigate it? Right? Like, yeah, you don't even know what it's what it's purporting, what it's saying, what it's, what it's pushing, what agenda is coming. Like, what is it? And because culture, and you've said this a a bunch of we've talked about this is that culture um, tends to, to show like is created around story. Yeah. And whatever the story is saying, like those are the things Mm -hmm. that create culture. Right. And And you learn a lot about, uh, about the culture by by its stories and yeah. what it is that it's trying to say through its films and other things and i i dare say unfortunately that christians uh sometimes even in their in, the, in when we try to create cultural forms like film um or music sometimes 
we we don't have a broad enough understanding of the the themes and values that might cross over with because it is a Venn diagram, right? Yeah. That there are some things that Christian people believe uh, that lots of people would embrace: perseverance, faithfulness, right, kindness in the face of trial. Th- these are all things that people, you know, the hero going out and saving the day yeah. by rescuing the weak. These are things that we, we're like, yeah, this is about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the love story where they come together in the end and all is right. I, I tell you, that's probably about Jesus too. He yeah. is the great love and our, our souls long for. Mm-hmm. He is the one that we long to, to have. And so all of these, I think it's possible to look at these things and say, what people, when they're making these forms, are looking for is Christ. It's just they're missing him. They're searching. They are searching and, and trying to find their way towards God. Yes, which is the way that, some great philosophers have said in the past. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like Augustine. Yeah. So we can close with Augustine's great saying, okay? Our, uh, we were made for, you have made us for yourself. So this is Augustine. You have made us for yourself. He's speaking to God. You've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I think in that is probably a good description of the world. You've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless till they rest in you. Amen. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Those Joining us on the podcast and fun. listening to our... We started with Jar Jar Binks and we ended with Augustine. Well, yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, if that's not the hero's journey yeah. in a nutshell, is uh, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> You're not going to get that on any other podcast, yeah, are th- you? Yeah, that's unique here. Conversations with Jeff Bucknam. <laughs> Special edition, Ask Anything. We'll we're, come back with another one of these. Yep, we'll have uh, a couple more. We're going to... And we're going to try and get through as many as we can. Okay. All right. All right. We'll see you next time on the podcast. See you later.